Finding the right jeans is hard. Accepting your jeans is even harder. Whether you wear boyfriend or bootcut, high rise or low rise, this podcast will teach you to love the jeans you are in. I'm Rachel. And I'm Tina. And we're going to use modern research to bust diet myths and get real about body after baby. We're going to take you on a journey of unpacking your old beliefs about food and weight so you can learn to nourish your body and raise body-confident kids. So put your booty in a chair and let's talk mom jeans. This episode you're about to listen to has a few choice words. So if you're listening with your children in the car, earmuffs. Thank you. Everyone, thanks for joining us today on Your Boobs. Boobies. Today we are bringing <laughs> boobies. Boobies. Today we are bringing on a fabulous woman who has dedicated much of her time supporting mamas out there in promoting positive breastfeeding or positive feeding experience. I first learned of her from my husband, funny enough, who they were college uh, friends. And then I started following her on Instagram and immediately fell in love with her story and message. And I think it's great. I think you all will be impressed with the message that she is here to spread. But you know us, we have to chat a little bit about the science and facts before we can jump right into the fun interviews. Now, before we lose some of you who are like, ugh, breastfeeding, I didn't feed another guilt trip, yada, 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 we're giving a disclaimer. This episode is in no way here to shame or put pressure on anyone to have to breastfeed or anything like that. Personally, I, Rachel, was much more of a formula feeder than a breastfeeder. So I am one of the people who always rolled my eyes when hearing about like all of these breastfeeding lactation consultant people because I just felt like whatever you have to say, it's not going to help me. So we just want to make sure that in this episode, we are talking to Lauren and hearing her thoughts. And I think you'll be pleasantly surprised about how well-rounded her message is. And we just really want to emphasize that we understand that how you feed your baby is your choice. It is each mama's individual choice, and we wholeheartedly respect that. But we definitely wanted to dedicate an episode to our boobs because not only is this part of a body acceptance piece, but it's also a huge part of the postpartum period. And so we just want to say, hey, your boobs are a big part of this equation. We're going to talk about them. No pun intended. Big boobs. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway. Okay. Here are a few facts about breastfeeding and nutrition. I'm not going to do what everyone thinks I'm going to do, which is give you specific caloric amounts that you need to eat while breastfeeding. It just doesn't work as black and white as we would all hope or that it would make it a little bit easier. But I can tell you that you are literally producing food for another human. So you need to be able to fuel your body so that you can, one, rebuild and repair your body after giving birth, which takes a ton of time, and two, make enough milk to support a growing human. That being said, your body is able to communicate to you when it needs more nutrition. However, that can be challenging because, like I've said in previous episodes, for the first eight months of my son's life, I had to go based off of logical eating and timing because I was so sleep deprived. My hungerfulness wasn't really connecting to me. So what I can tell you is that balance is key. Making sure that you have your macronutrients, which are carbs, proteins, fats, and color, and hydration, drinking enough water is really essential to breastfeeding. 
keeping a snack in a water bottle near you at all times is a little tool kit that I would suggest. And I could literally go into a whole nother tangent here about breastfeeding and quote unquote the need to cut foods out because the baby is having gas or another concern. This is the thing, this is the disclaimer. If your baby is pooping blood or having an explosion of a rash on their body that is outside of the normal baby acne rash stuff, then it may be necessary to avoid that certain food temporarily. But otherwise, you don't need to cut foods out. And again, I'm not going to tell you what all to do, but from a nutrition standpoint, I would say more so than not, you just keep eating normally. Babies are gassy, their digestive systems are new and weak so it's going to take time and they're going to be having gas plus on the other part it usually takes about a month or so if you were restricting a food to fully be out of your system before you would even really notice any improvements so if you are having concerns about this about your food about breastfeeding and how it is affecting your baby then i would go and talk to your doctor and talk to a dietitian Unfortunately, there are a lot of doctors out there that immediately jump to cut out dairy, soy, or whatever, and that's just infuriating. So hopefully finding a pediatrician that is a little bit more up to date and having a dietitian that can give you the real fact. That all being said, there can be foods that affect your baby while breastfeeding. And if you notice, then take a temporary break or just eat it a little bit less, but not completely cutting it out. So for example, while my son was in the fourth trimester phase, he was super fussy. He got even fussier when I had maybe some cream cheese or Brussels sprouts or asparagus. Like it was a noticeable difference when I started to eat those food foods, he turned into a different baby. And so I, instead of cutting them out or saying I can't eat any dairy, I just ate them in moderation. I still ate them, I just didn't eat them maybe every day or in larger quantities and things ended up being fine. Yeah, I think those are good points because I think that is one thing that mamas feel so overwhelmed with. Like, what do I cut out and what should I watch and yada, yada, yada. And I think your point is that babies and their stomachs and their digestive systems are much more resilient than we like to think. And I also think a lot of mamas maybe secretly use this as a postpartum diet. Like, oh darn, I can't eat cheese because the baby, whatever, whatever. And I kind of just feel like it's hard for me to fully trust a mom's intentions when diet culture is also so prevalent. So I think giving yourself a decent, honest inventory at what your intentions are, whether or not this is realistic, and if you're just feeling a lot of pressure to make this work and you're overwhelmed and so you're just cutting things out because you don't know what else to do, I want you to kind of pause and take a deep breath and think about just what your relationship with your body, with food, and with breastfeeding is going to be that's very balanced. Yeah. Okay, we want to give you a couple boob facts. Can boob like facts. That? Okay, myth. Large boobs, breastfeed, better than small boobs. Uh, not true. Uh, yep. Why small boobs may need to breastfeed a bit more often than larger breasts is so they can produce a more adequate amount of milk for the baby. But the only time the shape size of your boobs makes a difference is when they're hypoplastic. This means that there is underdeveloped glandular tissue in your breast, which is essential to having a solid supply. Other people have had breast implants or reductions, and they worry how that will affect their ability to breastfeed. 
This is where you absolutely talk to your doctor, but it is stated in our research that reductions are slightly more at risk due to the reshaping of the tissue, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you are not able to breastfeed if you've had a reduction. The bottom line is anytime you're reshaping tissue, you have a chance of affecting the glandular tissue, nerves, and the milk ducts. Otherwise, talk to your doctor to get more details. Right now, we're going to transfer to the interview with Lauren, and she's going to help us weed some of this out. So yeah, I got a lot of questions I got to ask. Personal therapy session. Here we go. Hey, everyone. Welcome to our interview with Lauren. And just FYI, you're going to hear a small child in the background because, yeah, hi, little man Henry's joining us for uh, lack of a babysitter, you know, winging it, winging it. So that's hashtag real mom life right here. Real mom life. Gosh. Okay. So Lauren Archer is a 30 something mama to one cub. Her offerings include postpartum doula, childbirth and postpartum educator and lactation support. She brings non-judgmental and unbiased support to families of all shapes and sizes. She is passionate about spreading how important postpartum care is for every parent, including families that grow via surrogacy and adoption, and supports all families regardless of race, religion, or the gender of their partner. She believes education equals empowerment. She never turns down the opportunity to chat with a parent, snuggle a baby, or eat a donut. Hey, Lauren! Hi. Thanks for joining us. Oh my gosh, thanks for having me today. Yes, yes, yes. And Henry's saying <laughs> Henry's so too. excited as well. <laughs> oh man. So I love how in your bio how you stated that postpartum care is really for every parent. So I'm not just gonna be using the word mama, even though our podcast is called Mom Jeans. We're gonna be we wanna honor all parents. So that being said. Tell us a bit about yourself and the work that you do with parents. Um, a lot of what I do is, uh, you know, people have babies um, and or they bring home a baby and then people kind of forget that that's not just the end of the story, that it's often a very important beginning. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, uh, you got to know what to do with a baby. So it's a lot of um, part of it is supporting a parent however they need to be supported. And that can be making meals or hanging with babies so they can do something or going grocery shopping for them. But that can also be a huge part of my offering, um, which every doula is different, but I do a lot of focus on education. So why is your body doing something? Why is your baby doing something? And often when you understand why something is happening, you can find a really great option for you as to how to navigate that. That's awesome. So since our episode is about your boobs, that's where our focus is going to be. Even though you provide more than just lactation support. Uh, so what would you tell mamas out there that are struggling to breastfeed or are figuring out the process of breastfeeding or, or even experiencing judgment about not, you know, breastfeeding the right way or doing it enough or just talk to us about all that. Well, the first thing that I would say is not every boob is the same. Uh, we often turn to other people's experiences in regards to how they feed their baby. And there's a gazillion ways to feed your baby. And there's a lot of ways to breastfeed your baby. You can exclusively pump and offer a bottle and that's still breastfeeding your baby. It doesn't 
It doesn't always mean physically putting your baby to your breast. And so sometimes we, um, if you just start from that foundation uh, of understanding that your boobs are your boobs, and even amongst the two of them, if you have two, that um, they're not equal. <laughs> they're not always the same. So one boob can often outperform the other one or be shaped differently, or your baby might prefer one over the other. And um, it's just boobs are amazing like that. Totally. My left boob is like so much stronger milk wise than my right boob. And I'm right dominant, man. But my left is just like cranking out milk. <laughs> I think that that was for me too. My my theory was because my right side was doing so much more heavy lifting that my left side had more room to make some milk. I don't know if that was just my theory. Uh, if there's any science behind that, Lauren, you can tell us. I think, and I haven't looked into this. It's not true for everyone, but I think that they do say that your left breast outperforms the right often. But for me, for my my right actually does oh, okay. more. Um, but it's because uh, typically uh, we have a different amount of milk ducts in each breast. Mm. So, the, so one breast in theory can hold, the capacity is larger than the other breast, which means it makes more milk because it can hold more milk. That makes sense. Yeah. So if mamas are, just going back to my original question, because if mamas are really struggling with some shame or feeling judged for the nature with which they're feeding their baby, how do you support them? Well, usually I always remind them to, um, there's a ton of resources. So a lot of people, you know, I think as birthing people, we often have the mentality that like this was our choice and we have to suffer and we chose to have a baby. So we choose to deal with everything that comes after that, which is totally a big misconception. Um, the way we birth and raise children now is not uh, historically how people birthed and raised babies <laughs> before. It's definitely super isolating to have a child. And so understanding that there is mom groups or parent groups or baby and me groups or dad groups or um, resources, like my first thing, I I do lactation support, but I'm, you know, I don't know everything, but I have an amazing IBCLC that I refer to. And so usually um, just connecting, I host a, a postpartum group and I have a friend who hosts a breastfeeding support group and sometimes just getting in the same room and uh, everyone's boob is out and you're seeing that you're all struggling and you're all succeeding. It's kind of puts it into perspective a lot of times. So usually just supporting a person by giving resources and reminding them that it's not intended to be easy. And a lot of times when people get advice or um, comments, it's the other person projecting or they're uncomfortable with the idea of breastfeeding. Yeah. In my breastfeeding experience, I've gotten a lot of questions just out of curiosity from family members or peers that haven't breastfed and I like that way that you put it like it's it really is just because maybe their experience wasn't the same or it's not necessarily that people are judging but it's just questions out of curiosity um right right and a lot too is we have this idea that people want to make your life easier as a mom or a parent so it's you know you get those just give them a bottle the baby's crying just give them a bottle but just like birth post that was my yeah mother. postpartum and breastfeeding specifically is uh 
a marathon of sorts. It's your training. And so when, if you were to train for a marathon and you were like, oh my gosh, my legs are so sore and I, did, I, you know, I don't want to get up and do the workout, no one would say, just give up don't run the marathon. They would be like, you can do it. Go see a physical therapist. Go uh, try a different workout. They would be super supportive. And that's exactly what breastfeeding and postpartum and birth, they're all mini marathons. Um, I wish you guys could just see uh, Lauren's toddler who walked by with a box on its head. <laughs> that was epic. I know. <laughs> we do a lot of free range parenting here. and Well, I think a big piece is, is generational is educational um, and is fear. I remember talking with my mom and her friends and their generation, and for them, a huge piece of it was um, kind of a socioeconomic status. If you could afford formula, that was more, I don't know, that was, that was just kind of more of the option that you would elect to do because it maybe said something about you. And then there was also a piece, too, where my mom chose not to breastfeed due to difficulties with it and just her discomfort with physical touch and physical issues. And so for her watching me navigate the process, she had so much anxiety about it because she just she couldn't understand it. She couldn't relate to it. She just felt like it was so much easier just to be able to see in the bottle how much the baby was getting versus in my breast. And so, you know, a big piece of it was just really navigating like understanding her experience and honoring her experience and her generation's experience and education and then also asking for the respect that I navigate this in my own way I've I've had family I've had family like tell me hey when they were in the delivery room they delivered their the, their baby and then a nurse came in gave him a pill and it was to stop milk yes my mom had that my mom and had I was pill. like and they didn't even know. It wasn't like, hey, here's this pill to stop your breast milk. It was, here's this pill. Okay, I'll take it. And then immediate bottle feed. So it is generational. But my mom had C-sections and the education back then was you couldn't nurse while you were on the painkillers. And so it was like, if you had the C-section, you got the pill. And now we're learning that, you know, you can have the Percocet for a few days, I guess, while you nurse. At least I did. But... I don't know. What are your thoughts? How do you help people navigate that generational story in that? Usually I remind them, you know, it's if you're the way that we used to birth baby. I mean, in the 50s, we had, you know, uh, partners being out in the waiting room. They weren't even a part of birth. We had this uh, horrible uh, birth history of like twilight births where they would just put down every single person under anesthetic and you would birth your baby. Like, That's my right. And so looking to the past is not necessarily what we want to be doing. And it's really great because we have so much more information about how the breast works, how the, how a baby's mouth physiologically works, what is happening to your body biologically. And so it's really great, but it also can be really confusing because you might talk to an older generation and be like, oh, there's things like lip and tongue ties or, you know, my boob is doing this or my baby's doing that. And they might, it, they might, the common response is, we didn't have any of that when I was younger. We didn't have any of that when I gave a birth. And that's not necessarily a negative thing. I try to just change the rhetoric. And a lot of the times it's just education. And also like you had said, honoring that person's experience because they did the best that they could with the information that they had, and which is exactly what we're trying to do. And it might be a different bowl of information and it might be a bigger bowl of information, but it's still, you know, you're still just 
scrambling sometimes to do the best that you can, just like they were. Hey listeners, Tina here to share with you some exciting news. If you have been enjoying this episode chatting about your feeding boobs, then you are definitely going to enjoy what Lindsay is about to share. Hi, I'm Lindsay at Bear Bras, and we believe that women deserve style, comfort, and functionality. We know that body positivity is a really hard thing that people struggle with, especially after having a baby. And we want a product that make people feel good. You know, we have your back, we are with you, we stand with you. No matter what you feel about yourself right now, we think you're beautiful and we want you to be comfortable and happy. So our, our mission is really just to make women feel more comfortable in their own skin. We offer a range of beautiful colors and prints in a premium fabric, which is comfortable, functional, won't fall apart, and actually adorable to look at. They're meant to keep women dry during yoga, gym, swim, nursing, whatever you do, they'll keep you comfortable all day. Right now, we'll be giving away one free bra during this giveaway. And remember, you can always use Love of a Little One's personal 20% off code, which is Lauren20. So yeah, we have partnered with Bear Bras to do a giveaway on our social media pages. You can find us on Instagram at Mom Jeans the Podcast or join our Facebook group, Mom Jeans the Podcast, to find out details about the giveaway. But hurry, the giveaway launches the day after the podcast episode drops and is only open for six days. Okay, back to the episode. With the information that we have now, what are some of the biggest myths of breastfeeding that you like to bust? And, you know, what education do you like to give that's really helpful to to moms today? Well, the biggest myth is um, when you can't decide whether or not you uh, can breastfeed based on breast size. Um, And no one can look at your boobs and tell you that you cannot breastfeed. That is a huge myth. I get a lot of clients saying I received, you know, a nurse looked at me or my mom suggested that because I have small or big boobs, um, I can't breastfeed. And let me tell you, every single person uh, can breastfeed. Typically when we see that there's not uh, an ability to breastfeed, it's either a lack of information or a legitimate medical reason. Um, it's, It's very rare that when someone's just like, oh, I just couldn't breastfeed. Well, there's usually a reason a reason why they might not understand that reason or have investigated that reason, but there typically is a reason why you can't breastfeed. I had a friend that um, gave birth at the birth center that I gave birth at. That was a lot of birth, but um, she was saying that the midwife had said, oh yeah, you weren't really going to be able to breastfeed because of your coney boobs. Like her boobs are cone shaped. And then as a result, um, she doesn't have as enough like muscle or um, breast mass. Right. So a common myth is is the way that your breasts are shaped or your nipple size. You can breastfeed with big nipples, round nipples, small nipples, inverted nipples. Um, you can breastfeed with really any kind of A cup, B cup, any kind of different shape. Every breast is not made the same. Um, and it's interesting because you can't, you cannot. Uh, you just can't look at someone because you can't tell how their milk ducts or how their body works. Um, so even if you have cone shaped boobs, you might have enough milk ducts and a, that they might be able to hold a capacity. And the crazy, amazing thing is, is that your baby is designed to work with what you have most of the time. 
So the only times where it is like an issue is if there's like a physiological issue, like a tongue tie or lip tie, where they can't transfer milk appropriately because they can't wrap their mouth around the nipple or um, use their tongue in the correct function. But just like with the education, now we have, you know, a lactation specialist should be able to catch um, symptoms and be able to see that. And you can go and get that revised and then your baby works should, you know, if you do what you're supposed to do, then uh, in theory, you'll be able to have a successful breastfeeding journey. That's interesting to know. Thanks for <laughs> busting that myth. Yeah. Right. And it's kind of crazy because like, I couldn't look at you and be like, you're going to be a great runner or you're going to be a great drawer or you're going to be able to, or like, oh, I can tell by looking at you how many beats per minute your heart beats. So it's ridiculous right. that someone would look at you and be like, based on the shape of your breast or nipple, I can decide what's internally happening. That doesn't make any sense. Yeah, I have had friends say that they felt like they couldn't breastfeed because their breasts were big. And so it was just really hard for them to kind of navigate that. Right. And that would be like if someone, if I have a client with a larger chest, then it's kind of figuring out how to position baby and how to position themselves in order to make it comfortable for um, people. And it's a really sh a big shame because a lot of breastfeeding, there's a mental component, just like parenting is a mental component. Um, and so when you get, I see a correlation, and this is totally based off of my experience, that when someone gets something negative said to them right from the beginning, their journey is that much harder because not only do they have to go over physical hurdles, which are the easy part, but they also have to ha go over mental hurdles. Because if you sit down every single time to feed your baby and you have that in the back of your mind that you cannot, that is a huge, your body responds. Yeah, I think a huge piece of this is psychological. I mean, you mentioned that feeling of discomfort and being uncomfortable. And I think when someone feels uncomfortable, it's really hard for them to not feel like this is not right. Like just because I'm not feeling right, therefore it's probably not right. And so a huge piece of navigating, I think your relationship with, with nursing, with breastfeeding, with feeding in general is kind of trying to navigate, am I uncomfortable and I need to problem solve here? Or am I uncomfortable and I need to listen to some sort of intuition and kind of just doing almost a therapeutic process through what that feeling symbolizes. Right. And that's why I tell people to put services on their registry. Like your, your baby doesn't need a rattle or another onesie or a pair of socks that they will never use. But every single birthing person who chooses to breastfeed can uh, use the services of a lactation specialist or an IBCLC, which is an international board certified lactation consultant. Um, and that's such a good idea. Mm -hmm. That's so what I, I, you know, lots of doulas, uh, I've been gifted, my services have been gifted to clients uh, by family members or friends. And a lot of doulas or lactation specialists have gift cards or they'll make a gift certificate or whatever. And so I always tell clients, um, services are where it's at. You don't need a thing for your baby. <laughs> That's such a yeah, good I'm like, idea. Please stop buying me stuff. Yeah. <laughs> please stop buying me stuff. Just Well, I, yeah. I, going back to the psychological component too, that's, that's gifting the gift of it's okay to ask for help. And it's okay that you can't do this alone. So that gift symbolizes a huge mentality of going into raising the baby. Well, so it, it, you know, Rachel, what you're saying, you know, it shifts it into the self-care and, you know, being a dietitian, I always bring it back to food and our body. And so 
Lauren, what do you, what would you recommend to mamas for self-care around food and hydration when they breastfeed in order, or in order to keep up their milk supply or what is your recommendation around that? Um, Well, usually it's, there's a huge myth again, that you should be eating specific things in order to breastfeed. There's no magical food item that will allow you to breastfeed. It's emptying the breast. It's getting the support that you need, a proper latch, blah, blah, blah. But there are foods that can help support lactation. Um, like oats, they're called galactagogues, which is my favorite word ever. Um, but oats or uh, things like some good protein nuts, um, spinach is one, um, flaxseed meal are these things uh, that can help. Um, and there's herbs as well. But herbs I'm on the fence with, I always say try it first once your breastfeeding is established because an herb can drop a supply just as quickly as it can pull up a supply. Um, yeah, like fenugreek personally for me drops my supply almost immediately. Um, but fenugreek used to be like the number, like if you don't smell like syrup, you're not using enough fenugreek. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but usually it just is about nutrition, like eat Mm -hmm. a meal, eat enough, drink some water. Yeah. Like, um, most of the, you know, one of the services that I offer is, uh, new meals. So a lot of times I see a client within the first 24 hours and I go and I bring them a meal that I've prepared, um, so that they eat something. Um, and so it's just about, you know, wanting to have the first couple of weeks, like stews and soups, easily digestible, um, lots of good, um, nutrition, but not, but like super filling with a small amount. Cause sometimes after you give birth, you're like, I don't, have an appetite or I can't like my stomach is now moving from like into my throat back to where it should be in my body. (laughs) So food isn't the most appetizing, but it's super, super important um, after you give birth. So just food, like a lot of people will set up meal trains here in Los Angeles. There's a lot of meal delivery services or there are postpartum doulas who part of their offerings are cooking big batch meals that the entire family can enjoy very easily. Yeah. I was always surprised by the amount of food that my body was asking for and the amount of water. I mean, I drink a lot of water just in general because I'm a hydrated human. (laughs) That's just me. Mm -hmm. But like some days I was like five to six liters. I'm not joking of water because I was like, I was parched and and that I needed that much liquid. So I, well, breast milk is predominantly water. So you become incredibly dehydrated making water, uh, aka breast milk, for your child. So it's one of the most dehydrating things you can do. So, is to, so it to makes sense that I was postpartum. Yeah, craving five to six liters. And I'm not a huge... Yeah, and I'm not a huge water drinker, and I think I did not figure out the correlation till my third kid. So my first, with my first two kids, I dried up my first one at six months and my second one at four months. And it wasn't until my third that I really started putting so much effort and intentional thought into my food and my water intake that I was able to nurse for 14 months. So such a huge difference when you put an intention into that. I think there's also other complications going into it. That's not all of it with the first two, but I absolutely noticed a difference. So I have a personal experience of that. Right. I always say just try try to drink six to eight ounces every time you sit down to feed or pump. 
just as a, and you'll probably be thirsty, but that's just a glass of water. And if you feed eight to 10 times a day, that's eight to 10 glasses of water, which is recommended anyways <laughs> as a human. <laughs> so you're just sticking, but it's, it's hard because sometimes I'll get to a client's house at two or three and they haven't eaten one single thing. They haven't drank one single thing. And then you're getting headaches and you're getting like, I just phrase it as it's, uh, you don't want to faint holding your baby. And usually when I say that, then they're like, oh my gosh, I'm going to make a snack plate or I'm going to have my partner. Partners are great at you. They feed you. So you feed the baby. Exactly. Yeah. And again, like sitting on this dietitian train, I, I, I'm going to bring it to the body. And so I think that it's important that people recognize that we're literally producing food for another human, you know? So, so setting aside always diet culture, but I know that a lot of moms are like, I want to get back to my body and, you know, what I looked like and lose this weight and whatever. We have to be able to focus on feeding our child. And so that may mean we need to sit at our higher weight or nourish our bodies more to be able to produce enough breast milk to feed our child. Do you have any thoughts around that? Yeah, I mean, breast milk burns additional calories a day. You want to be able to consume enough calories. It's just about hitting that mark where you're satisfied and your body is able to do what it should do. So yeah, I'm, I'm always for, I always say if friends come over, they need to do a chore or bring a food item. Breastfeeding and I, I feel like right off the bat, I'm like, okay, four weeks in, I'm going to start pumping so I can save up my supply and I'm going to go back to work at three months. And I felt this like unnecessary pressure around I need to be pumping every two to three hours. Am I pumping enough? Oh my gosh, I'm only getting this much. Or look how much I produced here. And then, oh my gosh, I only produced this much this day. It was just like so stressful or like trying to make such use of my time when I was away from Henry that I wanted like I'm pumping as I'm driving and then getting to work and like pumping all the time. Like it just is so stressful. And even to this day, I'm like, I, I don't want to pump, but I'm going to pump because I want to keep up my supply. Help me. It's stressful. Tell me your ins and outs about pumping. I need help. <laughs> so pumping is interesting. My friend who is the IBCLC I refer out to, Julie, she said uh, something that kind of profoundly changed the way that I viewed and talked to clients about pumping. And that is we are the first generation that can quantify milk supply. Before, you just fed your baby. And... Um, this is the first generation that we can really efficiently pump and there's tons of gear and we start to get in and we also have this thing of social media. So we look at these pictures of like, you know, thousands of millions of ounces in someone freeze in someone's freezer and we then get into a competition with everyone else we don't know that is breastfeeding and pumping and ourselves. And so usually, um, and I, and I get it because I've been pumping for two and a half years, I, which is uncommon, but I continue to pump because I donate my milk. Um, and so I totally get it because you sit down and you, you wash your parts and you sit down and you make time and you pump and you get something that you aren't happy with. And then you're like, well, that was a huge waste of time. And you're kind of angry and you, you're bummed. And the thing though is, is uh, pumped milk is extra milk. So uh, typically for an in-between feeding, you will only pump 0.5 to 1.5 ounces total. That 
could be a quarter of an ounce each breast and you're well within a typical range, which when you look inside a bottle, you might be like, that is quote unquote, nothing. And then depending on your milk duct capacity, whatever you pump for an in-between feeding, you'll get roughly about double that for a feeding or a pump session that you do um, in lieu of feeding, which would mean you offer your baby your bottle and you fully pump uh, an entire feeding. And that's, you know, that could be uh, two ounces. That could be one ounce each breast. And you're still within that double depending on how much you make, which it's sometimes hard because we want to sit down and we want to pump 10, 12, 15 ounces, which is actually not, uh, if you were pumping that much, then your breasts would, you'd probably be in a lot of physical pain. You would have to pump that much. And there are medical reasons why people pump such a large amount of milk. Um, so it can be hard. And if you're feeding your baby and you are exclu- and you're pumping every two to three hours, you're essentially telling your body that you have twins. Because when you exclusively pump, you would pump every two to three hours. So you're feeding one baby and then essentially pumping for another baby. For sure. I meant the two to three hours when I'm like away at work. I'm like, oh my God, pump, 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 you know? So if someone is away or they're at work, like what's the general recommendation on average? You would go between three and four hours. Four hours is typical. Oh my gosh. I could literally cry right now. (laughs) I could... Right. And, and the thing is, is because your body is such this amazing machine and it syncs up with your baby, then in theory, whatever you're pumping when you're away from your baby is how much your baby is pulling from your breast, how much they eat. So we think like we should be pumping so much, but maybe your baby is only eating nine ounces for a nine, which is fine because it's one to 1.5 ounces for every hour since your last feed. So if you're gone for nine hours, you really only need nine to 13 ounces of milk. So most people, once they start going back to work, they overfeed their baby. And while you can't have the negative health reactions of overfeeding a breastfed baby, what you're doing essentially is wasting milk. And you then, then your body isn't able to keep up with something because that's not the way that your body works. And then you feel like you're not pumping enough, like you need to pump more, like your body is failing you. And combine that all with around three to four months, your body, your milk supply regulates. You're going to laugh at me, but what I ended up figuring out works best for me once I had my second and then definitely with my third child is I set my alarm at 3 a.m. every single night and I got up and I pumped. And it, but it was because of my body, what I learned was that once the baby started regulating my milk supply would go down a lot and then it was it would just continue to go down 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 and it wouldn't regulate with the baby I don't know how else to explain it but that was kind of just my experience and that became like the joke that I would be in the corner with the kindle light on reading at 3 a.m pumping that milk and putting it in the fridge or the freezer but it worked it worked for me that was that was how I got to 14 months with my third kid was that and that's not that's not unsurprising because we yield the most milk between 1 and 6 a.m. Okay. And then I would still have enough for the 6 a.m. feeding. So it ended up being this this extra milk and it kept my body going so it didn't have 12 hours on and 12 hours off. It's just that my body didn't do well with that. Yeah, and it's hard too because we also live in a culture where we separate from our children a lot sooner. So this idea that we need to have this stash or like we might be going out or we might have other work commitments. And so we're away from our child longer amounts of time where in theory, some people pump one day and whatever they get is 
what they leave for their child. They don't keep any stash. But if you're like, my job requires me to go out of town or my job requires me to have extra hours, then we need, then we start feeling like, oh my God, my child is going to quote unquote starve is then, then you are playing with that mental aspect of I need to be doing more. I need to be doing more. I was going to say, that's a good point about our culture, though. I mean, and the reason why I had to do that the most with my third is because I left my third the most. Like, I would I would have to go out with my oldest to do his little field trips, and I would leave my third. And, and I'd have to go on do different things or go back to work or what have you. So there was an element of, yeah, our the culture and the birth order and our scheduling being something where I did need that stash. So that's a that's a good perspective when I think back at that. Whereas with my first, I didn't go back to work and I didn't really leave him. He was with me all the time. It just, it changed as our family evolved. Right. And it is hard for a second or third or fourth time parents because you have to fit in a pump session somewhere. You have to, you know, rely on um, your older children being like, okay, I have to go and pump for the baby instead of hanging out with you or things like that. And it's, we're lucky that our technology for pumps are moving into hands-free, uh, no cord pumping, which is great. Um, and one of the things I'm looking forward to using for my, when I choose to have a second child, <laughs> but, um, it can be hard to find time to like be attached to the wall and attached to a pump, uh, when your older child is like, I have to go to the bathroom. <laughs> Oh, every time I would sit down to pump for my third would be when the numbers one and two would just get into a brawl on the floor. <laughs> it was just like 3 a.m. was the only time I could pump in silence. So that's going to be my time. Yeah, and that's, that's working very hard for your baby. That's amazing. Do you have a favorite breast pump? No, um, I really don't. Um, it's just like bottles, uh, it's, it's typically not the pump, it's the way you use it. So uh, making sure that you have the correct flange size. Um, Medela and Spectra are the two most common ones, but there's some other pumps that are coming out that are amazing, like the LV or the Willow, where there's no cords, um, you just charge them, and then you stuff them in your bra, and you pump. And they are more on the expensive side, but for someone who is always at work um, or like taking meetings, uh, having something discreet and hands-free can be really, or with second, you know, second, third, fourth children can be worth the extra $200. Or if you're driving in the car pumping and you don't want shards of plastic to enter into your boobs if you get a car accident, like someone had mentioned that the other day and I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm literally going to be impaled by my breast pump. Oh my, I've never thought of that. And I pump in the car the most because it's the most efficient. Totally. And like people are, hey, Austinites, you all can see my boobies because <laughs> if I'm driving, I'm pumping. Yep. My friend's husband, my friend's husband is actually one of the ones who was on the team to develop the willow. Oh, really? oh my God. Yeah. Up in uh, Get us that breast Menlo pump. Park. No. I know. It was really cool. It was a three-year process watching him be on the team that developed it. It was cool. Oh, that's awesome. So switching gears a little bit, what are some good ways that parents can get a special feeding bond with their baby, even if they are formula feeding and they're not breastfeeding? Um, well, and this is a good question because there is this is the one that I hear the most with clients that are uh, formula feeding of, I'm afraid that my child and I are not going to have a the same kind of bond that I would if I were breastfeeding. And it's really a myth. I mean, your child doesn't love you because you have a set of boobs. <laughs> your child loves you because 
they love you. Um, and so you can still do a lot of things with formula is you can feed shirt off, nuzzle them in next to your wonderful pillows and nature's pillows and cuddle them. If you have breasts, a, a male partner, a male parent can do the same thing. Um, talking to them. A lot of times we kind of zone out and we forget, um, but a, typically a bottle should take between 10 and 15 or 15 and 20 minutes, depending on the size of the bottle and the age of the baby. And so that's 20 minutes where you could be telling them a story. I often tell, you know, say, talk about your day or tell them, explain what's in the room or tell them about yourself. Um, so just having that connection, it doesn't come from breast milk you know, flowing out of your boob and into their mouth. It comes from the fact that you're connecting with them. Yeah, I find a lot of the time, which I'm going to judge myself. Don't judge yourself, Tina. Um, but like I like scroll on my phone, you know, while like especially in the morning where it's like I'm tired. He woke me up. I'm scrolling on my phone while I'm breastfeeding him. And then a lot of time I have to like really yank myself out of that and be like, I need, I want to enjoy this moment because this is that bonding experience and yeah. Okay. I'm going to tune out when I tune out, but. Right. And that's the thing. Like I'm always, I, you know, I'm like, you don't have to connect with your baby every time you feed them. You can connect while changing their diaper. You can connect in a bath. I love baths. You can, it's a really, baths are a really great tool to like bring the energy down for children and you can get in and it's a play time and you're like, naked and just back to like being instinctual. Um, that's a really great tool. You don't, you could, you know, often when I'm with clients, I, I just, you know, it can be boring to, to listen to nothing. Um, so I just talk and tell the babies like, what's, what are we doing? Oh my gosh, we're going to put on your diaper and whoa, that was a full diaper. And how's your day going? And Oh, look at your thighs. Let me pinch them. And you just kind of talk to them. Um, because it can be boring when someone doesn't talk back to you. <laughs> and sometimes when you're tired, you can look at your phone. Or I often am say, find a podcast that stimulates your mind without reading. Um, because sometimes reading a book is just a lot, a lot to ask of someone. But, but find something that stimulates you where your baby can also benefit from words being said. They don't always have to be said by you. Okay, so when we polled our audience and our listeners, one of the big questions we got is why do boobs change or sag or shift or whatever post-baby and then as we age? Well, the biggest thing with that is that just like your body changes, uh, wrapped around your milk ducts is skin and muscle, and so that changes and that can um, shift the, you know, how your breast is shaped. Also, when they, we tend to think that they bag after you breastfeed because what happens is your milk ducts in, uh, fill up with um, milk and then that makes your breast significantly larger in size and then when it goes down just like if you lost a bunch of weight you might find that you have additional skin in places that you were like oh that wasn't that's not as tight as before however that's not always the case some people their breasts don't uh, sag after breastfeeding so that's a huge misconception um, it's very common because of the way that breasts work um, but I also I just remind people that that's the way that your body is meant to work uh, again we live in this society where we're supposed to be a specific um, I 
deal. Uh, and I don't know, I like my boobs, even though they're a little bit saggier. I never wear a bra. Um, <laughs> I love it. <laughs> so it's like when I was trying to keep up with the ideal, I felt really constricted. I had to wear a bra. And I, I, I thought about my breast shape a lot more when I wasn't breastfeeding. And now I'm like, these puppies are working so hard. They look amazing. Body acceptance. Well, but again, this podcast is all about body acceptance. And so one of the reasons we're covering this topic is because, yeah, your boobs are a huge piece of body acceptance as far as accepting the ability for them to produce and feed your baby. And then post milk production and post feeding your baby after you've weaned acceptance of how they've changed. I personally called my boobs. Uh, I call them my shriveled up raisins. They used to be nice, juicy grapes. And now they're just little dried out little raisins. <laughs> Yeah, my boobs definitely do not look the same, but that's okay. Right. And that's the thing. It's about having acceptance or I, you know, I do like to, to, to not that I'm promoting anything, but just there are ways you, you can have plastic surgery or you can change it. And it, that again is the choice you get to choose what to do with your body. And so there are, I know some wonderful people who have, who have, um, change the way that their breasts have by uh, cosmetic surgery because mentally they really wanted that or they needed that. And that is totally fine. It's, it's never a for sure. Um, the biggest thing is accepting whatever you are because bodies do change. I like to remind people that after you have a baby, you're on your third body in less than 12 months which is insane. Most people are like, when do I get back before baby? And, and the truth is, is that, uh, you know, when you're pregnant, your bones shift. And so sometimes they don't shift back. They're not meant to. Your hips are supposed to widen. Your pelvis is supposed to be a specific way in order for you to push out your baby. And so I always tell clients to change their rhetoric. I, I like to do this a lot with people um, because sometimes just telling them to accept themselves is a hard thing. So I like to just change the rhetoric. It's not going back to baby. It's when, you know, give yourself the grace and time to get to a place that you feel good about and, and don't compare. <laughs> I like to say you didn't leave your pre-baby body in the paternity wing lost and found. Like you checked out <laughs> with your body and this is it. And it's just part of the process. Right. That pre-baby body was pre-baby. Now you have a baby. So that, that pre-baby body just doesn't exist because it just doesn't. Right. Right. And we just live in a society where it's like hitting an ideal. And I think it's more about like being proud of your body and being proud of the choices that you make around your body, whatever those may be. And accepting your body um, in, in any form is, is really healthy. And it's also teaching your child. We, we have this idea that you know, we want to be, we're now shifting into raising this culture of people uh, that are confident and kind and um, understanding and much more accepting of themselves and other people. But I often find that the parents will tell that to their children, but not actually practice what they preach. So I try to remind myself, like, you know, when I tell Cubby to look in the mirror because he looks really good, then on my way out, I should also look in the mirror and remind myself that I look really good. Yeah, I love that. So is there anything else that you feel like you want to tell parents about breastfeeding, their boobs, formula feeding, anything along those lines? Um, I mean, the biggest thing with formula feeding is uh, how much you give your child is based off of their weight. And a lot of people don't know that. It's not on the back of uh, formulas. 
containers or boxes. Um, and so that's a really big one because you can overfeed a formula fed baby. And so just like anything, it it's not whether you formula feed or not, who cares? I don't. It's about using it correctly. Send it to us because we can link it in our, sh in our show notes. Oh, perfect. Yeah, because it's based off of their weight. Um, so that is the biggest thing. And then um, that's pretty much it. I mean, every parent, they're, they're a mess in equal ways. Uh, and breastfeeding is, is, is difficult for pretty much everyone. It's very rare that I've ever had a client that pops baby on and they happily go among uh, on their way um, even if you have no physical issues breastfeeding there is an emotional and mental component that a lot of people don't talk about it's incredibly draining you feel a lot of pressure from yourself from your um, you know your partner from your family members from society um, but there is resources and there are help because it took me a really I mean I've been studying, researching boobs for a really long time now, and I still have so much to learn. Um, so I don't, I can't imagine that the average parent um, puts in as much, I mean, it's my job. So it's like, I have to make time to do it. But most people are like, I have my, my work job, and then I come home and I parent. Um, I can't Google about boobs. <laughs> yeah. And that's, I mean, one of our main purposes in having this episode was to provide that resource for mamas out there or for parents. Right. Cause it is, it is a big, um, it's a big aspect and, and really just getting support again, services. You can, you can line up lactation services before you even give birth. That person can meet you in the hospital or the birthing center or in your home right after you give birth, because a lot of it, because boobs and bodies are so different, having someone, you know, there's a lot of foundational information that people know. Um, like the 10 to 15, so your baby should eat 10 to 15 minutes on each side. That's great foundationally, but some babies only eat seven minutes on one side and that's it. And they're healthy, happy babies. And so having someone come in and be able to assess your personal experience is so beneficial and can absolutely change the trajectory of your breastfeeding experience. For sure. I don't think my son has ever fed 15 minutes except for the morning you know what I mean he's a five minute feeder and I just needed to kind of accept that that that's his norm and he's perfectly fine he's full you know and if he wasn't he would definitely let me know <laughs> right and babies change the way that they eat the way that they eat as a newborn is different than the way that they eat at two weeks is different at three months or five months or two years um you know, my son's favorite thing at two and a half months or two and a half years old is to sit and watch TV and me sit next to him and him breastfeed. Like there's no form, there's no bonding. It's just getting the job done and, and a moment where I can actually be on my phone and do some work because otherwise, you know, he's my sole focus. No, I just appreciate that you gave us a lot of grace in there because I know that a lot of people, they hear breastfeeding and immediately they think, judgment, I did it wrong, shame. I know for me, that was a huge piece because breastfeeding was such a challenge. And I do feel like I quote unquote failed with my first and then a little bit with my second. So, you know, I love that you came at it from a place of grace and compassion and just open-mindedness. And I really hope that all of our mom listeners here just took that away from it as well. Right. Thank you. And I, I just, you use the, you use the F word, uh, the failure. And I always just tell people there's no failure. There's only progress. There's, it's really commendable when you 
find something that isn't working and you move on to find something that is working. So if breastfeeding isn't working for you, there are resources um, or you can choose a different option. You can take a different option. And that's amazing when you decide to uh, move on to what is working. That's huge and commendable. And parents really need to remember that because choosing to not breastfeed is just as um, brave as choosing to breastfeed. Sure. I mean, the other F word is the fed is best and the food freedom. So there's a lot of great F words when it comes to boobs, people. <laughs> yeah. And we don't need any earmuffs for them. Nope. So, yes. There's no explicit now yeah. on this. Well, awesome. Thank you so, so much. And can you tell our listeners where they can find you, what support you have to offer, all all your good jazz. Okay. Um, you can find all my offerings at my website, which is loveofalittleone.com. And I do a lot of educational posts on my Instagram, which is at loveofalittleone. Um, every Monday I put out uh, a Milky Monday, which is information about feeding your baby in multiple capacities. And so um, that is the best place to find me. Um, if you're in the Los Angeles area, I host a fourth uh, trimester support group um, every month. Currently it's being held um, at Village Birth in Eagle Rock, but you can go onto my Instagram and my website in case that moves. Um, and I uh, get my clinical hours because I'm working towards my CLC at um, a support group uh, every Tuesday at Graceful Birth in Silver Lake from 10 to 11.30 a.m. with um, an IBCLC. Well, thank you so much. And yeah, I think I, I like this episode because Henry joined, Cubby joined, you know, I mean, this is real mom life here, guys. We're, we're making it work. We're badass women. All right. Well, thank you, Lauren. We appreciate it. We just want to thank you again, Lauren, for taking the time to chat with us today. I want to remind everybody that it's your body, your boobs. I appreciate so much that every mama and parent has their own journey that is right for them. If we can pull from our previous episodes preaching on self-care and body love, I feel that we can pull this into this episode and it can accept that everyone's journey is different. And just because you have decided to breastfeed doesn't mean that you are doing it better and vice versa. We are doing an amazing job by keeping our children alive and fed. So let's stop for a second and give ourselves a hug and tell us that we're doing an amazing job. If you can take away anything from this episode, let's try to reflect where that internal judgment is resting about our boobs or our ability to feed our children and shift that into a positive reflection. Mine is that I have kept this amazing human alive for a year now, and that I am such a strong, badass woman for doing that, even though I might have a bit more of a sag in the front that I had before. Bye, boobs. And mine is, thank goodness for modern medicine and modern food options. I'm just glad to have a happy, healthy, and alive baby, because if this was hundreds of years ago... He, my first one or I, would have either died in childbirth or from starvation because of my milk supply. So I got to the point where mine was, thank you, boobs, for doing what they could do. And then thank you, modern food options, for helping continue where I couldn't continue. So my affirmation was, thank goodness for all of the options that we have in our time here. And the affirmation that I try to hold on to is, I'm enough when I'm feeling like I'm not enough. Thanks, everyone. Thanks.
Thanks, everyone. Take care of those tatas. See you next time. This episode of Mom Jeans was produced and edited by Rachel Coleman and Tina LaBoy. Just a reminder, this episode is not a substitute for therapeutic counsel or nutrition advice. Thank you to Jerry DePizzo for the music production. You can find episode information and show notes at www.momjeansthepodcast.com. Follow us on Instagram at momjeansthepodcast and join the Mom Jeans the Podcast Facebook group to find a community of mamas learning to love their bodies and discussing the episodes. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Mom Jeans. See you next time.